Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, a conversation among three black men in the wake of the release of the video of five black police officers beating another black man, Tyree Nichols, to death in Memphis. We'll also speak with State Senator Stephanie Chang, who has been working on police form here in Lansing, and we'll hear from you about the peril that African Americans increasingly face from policing. That's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. To Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm your host, Stephen Henderson, and I'm glad you've joined. I want to get quickly to our guests this morning to talk about the subject that we have no choice but to make the center of the show today, which is the video that was released just a few days ago of five African American Memphis police officers beating another African-American man, Tyree Nichols, to death. Part of the reason I want to get quickly to our guests is I'm out of words, I'm out of ideas, I'm out of inspiration to really have much to say about all of this. We have done this over and over on this show. We've done this over and over in this city, we've done this over and over in this country, talking about the absolute terrifying peril that African Americans face from policing. But the other reason that I want to get quickly to our guests is that the subject to me today that's most important is what I'll call internalization. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. One is the internalization, I think, of every American of the idea of white supremacy in this country. This is a nation that was founded on the idea of black inferiority and it has struggled for every day of his existence, to get beyond that. And along the path, that has meant that every institution, every social class, every cultural marker, and yes, every individual, is pretty infected by the idea of black inferiority. I don't think we can talk about the death of Tyree Nichols without thinking about that, without talking about it. But the other way I mean internalization is as a reflection of the way I feel and the way I think a lot of people are feeling. I haven't been able to watch the actual video of these police officers beating Tyree Nichols to death. And I have to say that the reason I can't watch is because these are African-American men brutally killing another African-American man. I don't know how to process the feelings that I have about that. And I know that watching the video won't help me get to any sort of sane understanding of it or to any sane processing of emotion about it. It's unfathomable. It's a word that I don't use an awful lot. And so 
we've organized today's show, at least most of it, around the idea of discussing that internalization in both ways. And the best way to do that, I think, is to talk to other African-American men about what happened, what we're seeing, and what we're feeling. The emotions that all of us, I think, are experiencing right now are just overwhelming. We want to hear from you, too, our listeners, about what your reaction is to this video, to this killing. Call and tell me if you're doing better than I am. Maybe your anger is at the center of your emotions, and that's not confusing. You know where to direct that. Maybe you have a way to process the sadness in a healthier way than I have been able to. We want to hear about that. Tell us how you're doing. How are you taking all of this in and making sense of it? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. I want to introduce the two guests that we have, but also preview what's coming up a little later in the show. We are going to talk with State Senator Stephanie Chang, uh, who represents Detroit and some of the suburbs of Detroit in Lansing. Uh, we're going to talk to her about the work that she has been doing on police reform in the state legislature. That's also a pretty important conversation. But first, I want to introduce John Sloan III, who is a co-lead organizer with Black Lives Matter Detroit. Uh, he is director of operations and administration for the Detroit safety team. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Also with us is Greg Bowens. He is a political and communications consultant, uh, a longtime friend of mine, uh, a longtime commentator on all kinds of things here in Detroit and Metro Detroit. He's also a co-founder, I believe, uh, of the Gross Point NAACP chapter. And I've I think he is a co-founder. I know he's one of the founders, at least, of, of that. He may be the sole founder of it. Uh, Greg, <laughs> Greg, welcome to Detroit Today as well. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate being here. And, man, powerful opening. Powerful opening. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I want to start with that idea of internalization. Um, and, and I want us to really talk about what that means and what that looks like um, John, I'm going to start with you, um, but but tell me first how you're dealing with the second part of that internalization that I was talking about. I, I, I want I want to know how you feel and how you're feeling and how you're processing feelings about all of this. Yeah, you know, I um, like you. I have not watched the video. I have read articles and. Um, I've been on phone calls with other activists and organizers across the state, um, but I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it because um, I am angry, Stephen, and I and being a, a black man in in sitting in anger is dangerous. <laughs> and so I try not to mm -hmm. um, lead into that, right? I, I, I try to find ways to center myself. But um, I don't think we need to watch the video to understand the um, the brutalization that occurred. And I don't think we need to re-traumatize ourselves by witnessing um, someone being killed um, to understand how um, how gross and insidious white privilege is and racism is in our country and how it is at the core of our system of policing. And I want to make sure I say that again, racism and white privilege is at the core of our system of policing. And we don't have any further to look than in this situation when it wasn't five white officers, but it was five black men. Um, and, and there's a cognitive dissonance, I think, 
um, that is hard to process. There's um, a there can be an ability to say, well, this is you know five black men and one black man. There can be no racism here. Um, mm-hmm. There's a way in which I think we might refuse to accept that this is the reality. But um, to your earlier point, we have so internalized the, this inferiority, this concept of inferiority, um, that we are now expressing that. And we have expressed that in, in a lot of other ways culturally. Um, but it's, it's coming out vibrantly um, through our system of policing and, and putting us at risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Greg, uh, same question. Uh, tell me first how you're feeling, how you're internalizing uh, all of these things, and and then tell me what you make of of what happened and how these men, these black men, came to be uh, the ones who took the life of another black man for reasons we still, I think, don't quite. Uh, know or understand. I don't think there's anything on this videotape that's gonna that's gonna answer that question. But but Greg, how are you feeling? <clears throat> well, today, to be honest with you, I feel uh, a little more hopeful, and I say that from the perspective, in part, based on the remarks that we just heard from uh, uh, my colleague here on the, on the show with me about being able to recognize this situation for what it is. And that is uh, a stark example of how institutionalized racism, you know, uh, rears its ugly head and and, and impacts us very deeply. Now, I, I do have to say that I, I watched the video, I was watching Joy Reid. So and, you did you know, watch the video? Oh yeah, I, I definitely watched it. And it was really hard to watch it um, because of the way that it, uh, the way that it ended, we knew how it was going to end in a death. But uh, when it starts, and you know, they just run up on the guy, stopped at a stoplight in the left turn lane, and start screaming "MF this" and 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 all this stuff, and and just yank him out of the car while he's doing trying to be calm. He's like, "Hey, you know what? What did I do? What did I do?" And and being very calm, and they um, and this and when it starts, there's a white officer involved. The camera angle is is from the white officer's uh, uh, car, and then his vest, you know. So you see his hands uh, moving around, and um, uh, but I I really want to encourage everybody within the sound of my voice to watch that video Hmm. and the reason why i say that is because it is important for us as people to bear witness to really bear witness and not just talk in an abstract sort of way uh about the things that happen but to we were there and when you're there you are touched in ways that i think that give us the courage to face the ugliness that exists today and so I did not want to watch it. You know, if someone would have said to me, do you want to watch this video? No, I don't want to watch it because I don't want to, you know, be traumatized in some kind of way or just jump on a bandwagon. But I think it's important for us as people, particularly as black men, to see what happened to our brother at the hands of our brothers mm. and to hear the words that were spoken because you get the feeling and you get the anger and you get the angst and you're wondering, you know, why, why did this happen? And you hear the voices of our brothers who are yanking this, uh, this, this young man out of his car and you hear what they say. And then when it goes to the, to the camera on the pole and you see these people you know, doing what they do, standing him up, two guys lifting him up as he's handcuffed so another brother can hit him. You know, all of this becomes very, very real. Mm. And I think that we have an obligation. We have a duty to bear witness. This man paid for this with his life to show us what's going on. Yeah. And so I don't think that we can turn away from it. I encourage you, Boy, both Greg, of you brothers, to, I mean, to that's check a, it out. That's such a powerful, such a powerful argument to make in favor 
uh, of of watching and and you're pulling at all of the the you know the tensions that I've been feeling about it over the weekend. I mean, number one, look, it's my job to watch that video, right? It's my job to to be informed as much as I possibly can about things like that. But I just have not, I have not, I've not gotten there. And um, you know, well, I can I can feel you on that. Let, let me say this. Uh, we bring a different perspective as African-American men to the experience of watching it. The inflections of the voice, the words that they use, the, all of that, that's us. That's us. Mm-hmm. We know it. We've said it. We felt it. And it's important for us to bear witness to that incident because he paid for it with his life. And, you know, and I say I'm hopeful because this moves us beyond some sort of academic argument about what's going on and puts us in that place to say, one, I will never do that. Two, I will hold myself and each other accountable uh, for those kinds of situations because, because the anger that's expressed and, and the actions that happen, happen uh, on lower levels in other interactions mm-hmm. in the way that we treat each other as brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, I, I really want to get your reaction to what Greg is saying. And, and you're like me, someone who hasn't brought themselves to, to watch it. Are you persuaded by what, what Greg is saying? And also... Uh, you know, it's so confusing sometimes to be black and American. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I see all this debate online about some people saying these people weren't really black because look what they're doing. They're they're blue, right? They're part of a, a blue institution that, that supports and, and furthers white supremacy. You have other people saying, look, they're black. They're doing the same thing as what – white cops would would do this proves it's not racism it's just about power i mean boy those are just i mean they're they're such convoluted ways of thinking about things um but but does any of that convince you that we like greg says that we owe it to ourselves and to america to to see this so I, i think listen um i appreciate what my brother is saying and i intellectually agree and understand right there so there are two sides of this conversation that we have to have i think the way that we're thinking through how we might how this moment can be um motivational how it can give us additional insight how we can use moments like this um like what happened to george floyd and Mott aubrey to propel movements and progress and to that instance how we can then honor the memory and the legacy of those individuals, of those fallen heroes. There's also the emotional component of how you as an individual have to take care of yourself, right? And, you know, you're the only person that can understand your kind of innate level of trauma or PTSD with which you're walking through this world. Um, So whether or not somebody chooses to watch the video, I understand all sides of that argument. And I probably will at some point um, watch that video to your Second point, though, Stephen, I really would like for us to avoid, as a community, having um, conversations around qualifications or standards of blackness. Mm. Um, I, I agree. No, yeah. You know, there's no litmus test. It's not like I grew up in the 90s, so there were a lot of conversations I had when I moved into the suburbs, into Farmington, with my folks um, around being an Oreo or what it meant to speak a certain way or dress a certain way or how that made you more or less of a black person. Um, and I don't think we can take an easy way out um, and say, oh, well, these brothers aren't brothers because they're wearing this uniform because they behave this way. Mm-hmm. Um, what we have to do is take the hard conversation and look at where that behavior comes from. What is that behavioral pattern? Um, and I, I think especially for a city like Detroit, where very similarly to Memphis, we have a largely black police force. Um, there is an insinuation that therefore racism does not exist, right? Um, but that is to ignore 
the way that racism is endemic and the way that these systems are pervasive throughout society and throughout culture and have been internalized, right? I think every, every dark-skinned black person of a certain age has had an experience with somebody in their family giving them like a, a lightning cream. Um, and that's something that, uh, that is, I hope, no longer in practice. But that is a small example of how we have internalized racism and how we have said to ourselves there's a proximity to whiteness that we need to achieve. What these brothers did is far beyond that. Um, but there are systems and webs that connect all of this. And so for us to look at them and say they're not of us is inaccurate. And it, and it lets us off the hook from doing the hard work. And the hard work is sitting down and saying, okay, is there a path forward for them? Is there a path forward for others like them and how we interact with black police officers? And is there a path forward for safety? And I'm, I'm keen on saying safety instead of security and safety instead of policing. Because hmm. I firmly believe that safety and policing are not the same thing. Um, and so how do we divest from systems that are at their foundation harmful and racist? How do we divest from systems that are at their foundation built to uh, propel and and to prop up hierarchy um, and a hierarchy largely across lines of race and, and wealth. Um, and how do we reinvest those resources into ourselves and into our community along these ideas of community-based safety, of centering each other as we're doing it and of making our culture and our society as equitable as possible for the least marginalized among us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Greg Bowens and John Sloan III. We are going to get to you, the listeners, as well. Um, Kenneth in Detroit, Tim in Detroit, Alexandria uh, and Harry and Sterling Heights. Uh, we will hear from you next on the phones. We'll also get to some social media comments. If you want to join us, 313-577-1019 is the number. Call and tell us what you're making of the death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of five black police officers in Memphis. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for joining us. Our guests today are John Sloan III, a co-lead organizer with Black Lives Matter Detroit. He's a founding member of the Detroit Safety Team, which works to recenter safety within the community and reduce the need for police interaction. Also with us is Greg Bowens, political and communications consultant uh, locally here in Detroit, uh, somebody who was a founder and past president of the Gross Point and Harper Woods NAACP. We're talking about the video released just a few days ago of five African-American Memphis police officers beating another black man, Tyree Nichols, to death uh, during a traffic stop. Uh, we should note that uh, the reaction to that, uh, that killing in Memphis has been Pretty swift. Uh, the police chief first fired uh, those officers, and they have been charged uh, with murder. Uh, there's also a Justice Department inquiry into the event. Uh, it's going to unfold a little differently, I think, than some other police killings that we've seen. Uh, but what, right now, what we're talking about is the dynamic here, uh, what I'm calling internalization, the internalization of white supremacy and authority by these black officers. The internalization that I think many people, especially black men, but lots of other people, the feelings that this evokes, the things that all of us are trying to process, I think after what was a pretty dramatic release of the video and then of course all the reaction to it. I want to hear from you as well about uh, how you're feeling about this and what your reaction is. 313-577-1019 is uh, the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we can include you that way. Let's first go to Kenneth in Detroit. Kenneth, what's on your mind? 
Well, it happened to me. I was stopped by a Dearborn police officer. And when when I saw the, the video, I wish you'd watch it too. But when I saw that video, it came back to me. Had I had I uh, not complied um, and being nicer or kinder or cowardice to him, he probably would have done the same thing to me. So it hurts. And um, all, all you have to do is look at the, the, the way um, billing is with banks and everything to see why this occurs to black people. If they don't get you that way, they'll get you through finances. Mm. It's terrible. So, Kenneth, um, so Kenneth, I, I yeah. want to push a little deeper into to your watching of the video and recalling your own experience. How, how have you been able to manage that? I, I, I appreciate your encouragement of me to watch the video. I would imagine that's much harder even for you with, you know, somebody who, who feels like that could have been you on, on the video. Well, starters, I watched it. I'm still hurt by it. And it was because I'm more hurt because it was black officers that did it. But they're trained to do that, to be that way. That's their training to be that way. I understand there are people that are bad in this city that need to be dealt with. That man, when I saw that, it didn't look like he needed to be dealt with that way. And that's why I called you. The, the, the officer that stopped me at 3 in the morning, I was on my way to work at a gas station in Dearborn. He pulled into the gas station right behind me. And I was done. I pulled out. And he said I didn't stop at the at the coming out of the gas station is why he pulled me over. And I said, yes, I did stop. And he just went crazy on me. And I changed it. I stopped it right there. I said, sir, I'm sorry. I, I, may, have, I may have not stopped. Mm. But he went nuts on me. Mm. Had I not complied like that, he probably would have just did the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. You should watch Kenneth, it, Stephen, so you'll know. You know, you'll know, you're not wrong, Kenneth. I should watch. It's my duty to watch. It's my job. Um, I just, I'm not there yet. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I will get there and, and be able to do it, but I I, I couldn't over the weekend, and, and I I have to be honest and admit that. Um, John, this, this, this question of authority... And compliance. Um, I think we can't talk about that without talking about the context in which it fits with policing, which is uh, which is white supremacy. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of efforts on social media over the weekend to disconnect those two things to say that this was just about authority, that this was just about you know this this uh, sort of overbearing. Um, attitude of police officers. But you can't talk about that without, as you pointed out, talking about the history of policing and and how that how raced all of that really is. Yeah, it's 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 really difficult to separate the two, right? And I my heart goes out to the brother that just called in. Um I think like a like a lot of black men, like unfortunately probably the majority of black men in the country when you see those lights in your rear view, and not even just the lights, when you see police officers, when I drive on the, down the street by police officers, um, I tense up, right? Um, and there's a, there's a fear um, that is unfortunately coming with all those interactions. To your point, though, when we think about the history of policing, we cannot separate that um, from a couple things. And there's a lot of conversation people talk about, you know, slave patrols in the South and how that um, was the beginning of, of policing in the South, and that is absolutely true. But let's connect it to something a little bit closer to home uh, in the n- north of the Mason-Dixon line. There's a criminalization of black and brown bodies that has been um, integral to the way that 
quote unquote safety and security was maintained, and and this is kind of through the Great Migration um, into into really current day, right? So when you're talking about the way black and brown bodies are criminalized, when you're talking about an expectation of violence, um, when you're talking about a topic that I think a lot of people are very familiar with right now, which is mandatory minimums, right? And the idea that there are there were these harsher penalties that were predetermined, right? Um, by our quote-unquote justice system um, that disproportionately affected people of color, that disproportionately affected black men. You talk about the fact that in a lot of states, including our own, um, you have recreational uh, marijuana that is now available for use, but you still have thousands of black individuals, men and women, um, and that are in prison for the way that they have uh, used drugs. You have to think about the way the entire system has been built upon the criminalization of certain individuals, um, of black and brown individuals. And the way that that then becomes um, insidious into thought process. And that is not, you know, prejudice is, it does not care what color your skin is, right? Um, and I'm being careful about saying prejudice versus racism. Mm-hmm. But prejudice can seep into anyone and can be taught to anyone. Racism is the way that prejudice, that prejudicial thought, becomes actualized endemically within a system to someone else's benefit. Um, And so this is entirely about the way that these black men have learned prejudice, have learned to, um, to enact upon the perceived inferiority of their own race, of members of their own race, and to leverage that towards the benefit not of themselves and not of other black people, but towards the benefit of a system of racism and white privilege and continuing to prop that up. And that's what we saw. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Greg, your, your efforts to start the NAACP chapter in Harper Woods and, and Grosse Point was tied at least a little into this idea of the interactions between police and uh, and citizens and and of course uh, African Americans are are a growing part of the population in in Gross Point and so those interactions with police are are increasing this idea of compliance and authority sits at the center of the tensions around those interactions uh, in many ways that that is true um, I, I I do have to say that. One of the things that we find, I believe, growing up in Detroit, growing up in a black political power structure, growing up with black mayors, black judges, black lawyers, black doctors, you know, and this 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 idea that we are empowered because of the education that we see we received in school and out of school. Right. And so you have these systems that are set up in the black community over time in Detroit that allows for us to be able to advocate and to do and to say. But when you move from Detroit to a suburb, pick your suburb, Birmingham, the points, pick it, I don't care. You don't have that same kind of institutional structure, that same kind of societal structure, that same kind of body politic there to support you. And so I felt like that uh, at the time when I was organizing it, and it was this, it was the sister who uh, Elaine Flowers, who had, who was a, a a cop who became a social worker and and worked out in Port Huron and came back, had reached out to me and I realized, you know, uh, when she did that she was calling for an idea of us to be able to create that kind of support system, you know, and so it's more than just about how you interact with police, but it's about how you interact in the society in which you live. Hmm. And so people have asked me plenty of times, why don't you just, you know, move to Birmingham or why don't you move to some, I'm like, look, black is black, wherever you are, (laughs) you're not going to escape your blackness, you know? And, uh, uh, and, and, and I think that this day, this topic that you're talking about reminds us of how we are all connected, no matter where we live, no matter where we live, you cannot escape your blackness. And the systems that my brother on this call is talking about are systems that are pervasive everywhere. And we have to recognize that Mm. and work together across all these like these geographical lines, because these lines don't erase our blackness and they don't erase our humanity. And in fact, they give us an opportunity to work better collectively to solve these problems wherever they are. And that's why Memphis 
resonates with us so deeply here. You know, the, the I, I mean, it's it's Memphis. And I've been to Memphis in a long time. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I haven't thought about Memphis as a place where I could be in danger more so than any place mm-hmm. else. You know, but this reminds us that yes, indeed, it don't matter if you in Detroit or Atlanta or LA or, you know, Denver, Colorado, you know, you are, we are all subject to this kind of policing. And the fact that it happened at the hands of brothers of brothers is even more hurtful. Yes. Um, uh, and I've got to say this, Stephen, you know, you know how we like to say the N word, right? How it's how we make excuses for us to be able to say, say the N word to each other. But if you white or if you're something else, you better not say it ever. I never want to hear you that come out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. But we but we allow ourselves to take license. It kind of felt like that folks were taking license during that stop. You know, the cops, the cops, the black cops acting in a way that they felt empowered to act because they were black, too. Now, I'm not trying to make a stretch here, but you don't run up on, you know, some middle-aged white dude going, hey, mama, 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 you know, the MF mm-hmm. this, MF that, and blah, 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 and speaking very colloquially and just, you know, while you engage in your, in, your, in your brutality, before you even engage, you just run up on a brother, talking to him disrespectfully, talking to him like, you know, in black colloquialisms. And 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 doing what you do, you do not. You are taking license. I mean, that's one of the. It's one of the really complicated layers of all of this, right? I mean, it is exactly. very black. The interaction between these police officers and Tyree Nichols, it wouldn't have looked that way or sounded that way if they weren't black. If he weren't black, I mean, uh, the 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 way in which. Race just defines, you know, everything in in terms of the way that that uh, we deal with each other in this in this country was just uh, at the center of of, of this entire encounter. I, w- I want to take one more quick call before we have to uh, break. Uh, Alexandria Hughes uh, is part of an organization called Michigan Liberation. Alexandria, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Oh, go ahead. Hi. Yes. Um, yeah, this, this situation is just, I, you know, I haven't watched the video. I can't, uh, and I can't emotionally take it. It's, it's just too many videos, too traumatizing. Um, for me, it's, it's, you know, it saddens me because I think about how this interaction is the most common one we have with our legal system. And that scares me also, uh, because that puts me at risk. That puts my family members at risk. I have, you know, four younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have brothers, a lot of brothers, and they're all black. And I think about that every day. Um, and I think about how us as taxpayers are putting our money into law enforcement. And we should all be disgusted by that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Alexandria, really appreciate the work that you do in our community, but also uh, the call. Okay, we are going to take another quick break. Uh, John Sloan and Greg Bowens, it was really important uh, for us to have both of you here uh, today to, to talk about this. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Uh, when we come back... We are going to talk with State Senator Stephanie Chang. Uh, She represents Michigan's third state Senate district, which includes Detroit. Uh, She's been working on a number of initiatives in Lansing that have to do with police reform. We also want to continue to hear from you on phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.
Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining us. We've talked a lot about the reactions to the beating death of Tyree Nichols. And this is, of course, a national event. Uh, but issues of police misconduct are not uncommon here in Michigan and Detroit. So to talk about what legislators are doing here in the state to reform policing, we've got State Senator Stephanie Chang with us. She is a Democrat from Detroit who represents Michigan's third state Senate district. She's also the chair of the Civil Rights Judiciary and Public Safety Committee. State Senator Chang, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, you have been pushing for alternatives to policing in the legislature. Uh, now that Democrats have a majority uh, and now that we're seeing again the the great peril that uh, many African-Americans face at the hands of police, uh, do you think that uh, maybe this gives us an opportunity to move things along quicker than they have been? Yeah, well, you know, it's a good question. And um, before sort of launching it, I just want to just acknowledge you know, this is a painful, painful topic for so many people. Um, and so first, just wanted to acknowledge all the pain and trauma that, you know, so many folks across our country, uh, especially in black and brown communities, are, are going through, which on what just seems to be a far too regular basis uh, when it comes to police uh, brutality and misconduct in our country. Um, so, you know, absolutely, I think that, you know, now that we've got a Democratic majority um, we've got an incredible opportunity to move things forward. Um, and so I'm going to do everything that I can in, in, my, in the position that I have as the chair of the Judiciary Committee to uh, move the legislation forward that we've worked on uh, for several years that are actually bipartisan um, and include reforms that are broadly supported by the majority of Michiganders. Um, and actually, was on the phone earlier this morning with Erica Geis, who's the chair of our Michigan Legislative Black Caucus, and both of us are really committed to working together to to get as much done as we can to address use of force standards, to address accountability and transparency, and to do everything that we can. Right? To are we going to be able to prevent every single uh, event of police misconduct? Probably not, but we can certainly save lives. And we know that uh, some of the reforms that we're talking about. Um, with use of force policies, for example, we know that some of the things that we're looking at are actually associated across the country with fewer police killings. So we've got to do everything we can to save lives, make sure that we have law enforcement that's working for our communities, um, and try to rebuild the trust where we can. Hmm. Uh, I, I want to talk uh, a little about uh, mental health and the 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 issue of mental health specifically with police officers and co-responders, I think that's a, a really important dimension of this conversation. And it's something that uh, you've been, you've been watching as well. Yeah. Um, super important. You know, I, I absolutely believe that there's a, a lot that we need to do in terms of supporting uh, public mental health in the state of Michigan. Um, last term, I was really proud to work um, across the aisle to actually pass legislation to help support local efforts that make sure that we're actually sending folks who are trained mental health professionals to respond to crises, um, you know, in tandem with or sometimes in place of law enforcement. Um, when we actually know that a lot of law enforcement officers uh, recognize that this is not really what their profession is, this is not what their training is, um, and wouldn't it actually be better to have folks who, this, you know, are trained in behavioral health, that is what they do, it's what they're licensed to do, um, to have them, you know, on scene and respond. So um, we're, we're excited to have that roll out, um, and we know that there's much more we can do. And, um, you know, I'm also really eager to pick up on all of the work that we were doing last term around about 10 to 12 bills that were really aimed at use of force, uh, separation records, duty to intervene, um, 
you know, many of the things that we've been talking about for such a long time, uh, this is the year we've got to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversations that way. We do have some social media comments I want to inject into the conversation here. Ed says, these five are not African-American men. They are monsters in police. They forgot. And I, like you, uh, like me, he says he cannot watch the video. Uh, Hugo on Twitter says, the system is working exactly as intended. I think a nod to the systemic uh, and institutional factors that we have been talking about. JL on Twitter says, I've got a lot of feelings about the death of Tyree Nichols. We know policing is rooted in white supremacy. When we started to police the police via groups like the Black Panther Party, they dismantled it from the inside. Uh, uh, Before we go back to the phones, actually, I I do want to go to the phones. We've got uh, a a black police officer here in Detroit who who wants to contribute to the conversation. I think that's important. Uh, Joe, I know that's not your real name, uh, but uh, Joe, welcome to Detroit today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, Yeah, I just wanted to make a statement, you know, those officers, you know, I'm not trying to Sunday quarterback anybody. All I know is I've been in situations similar to that. And being in a situation similar to that, I don't understand why, you know, I think those officers took it took it too far. You know, and, and from looking at the video, it just seemed to me like it was, it was personal. You know, it was personal. I mean, you know that you have a body cam on you. You know it's being recorded. And out of all five, no one had the common sense to say, hey, wait a minute, that's enough. Stop. You know, mm-hmm. I've worked in situations where I've been the only black officer there. And it's been times where there was white, you know, co-workers, you know, you know, try to uh, tighten up or what they call, you know, uh, rough up a black individual. And I wouldn't allow that, you know did not allow it and i wouldn't allow it no matter what the color you know what i mean mm-hmm. but they're to serve and protect you know so, so joe i i, I want to have you talk just a little more about that pressure or the dynamic that maybe leads to pressure inside the job being african-american policing a city that is 80 percent african-american and and policing with a force that is more integrated, right? I mean, it's uh, there are lots of black black officers, but also lots of white officers. And um, I, you know, you watch that that video and and uh, and feel something very different, I think, than what those officers were feeling. But I wonder if you can relate to um, seeing people, you know, lose control that way. Well, again. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. That's when it comes to either a citizen or either a fellow officer. You know, am I my brother's keeper? We're supposed to preserve life and take care of that. You know, regardless, our jobs is pretty much cut and black. The thing is, is you cannot allow your personal feelings to interject your duties. You know, and I understand we are all human, you know, people have, you know, human emotions, you know, but at some point, you know, we have to take accountability mm-hmm. for your actions yeah. and the actions of our court, of, you know, of and others. our workers. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I really do love that you uh, that you called to, to, to participate in the conversation today. It's a super important perspective. Uh, on all of this. Uh, State Senator Chang, before we end, I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the accountability, I guess, that Joe was talking about and how we might do better with regard to that, what kinds of things we can do in Lansing. I've only got about a minute left, but uh, okay, I'll get sure. you in there. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, Tyree Nichols should be alive today. I mean, full stop. I, I, it, um, I, I'm hearing what Joe said, and I think that there's, this was preventable, right? I mean, these officers, why did they use deadly force? 
and what was in, you know, Memphis PD's policy around deadly force or what is in Tennessee's statutes. You know, I don't haven't done the deep dive, um, but also, you know, for violating this duty to intervene policy that apparently they had clearly no one intervened. Uh, what are the ramifications of that? And how do they, how, how is Tennessee going to move forward and make sure this doesn't happen again? Um, but in Michigan, you know, we've got an opportunity to move on things like this, to make sure that deadly force is only used as a last resort, to make sure that we are pursuing independent investigations, to make sure that we are, you know, addressing chokehold bans, no-knock warrants, addressing do they intervene, de-escalation. All of these things are things that we have introduced um, and actually had really good hearings on in 2021, um, but never moved forward after that in a Republican-led legislature. But now that we've got the majority this has got to be a priority. It's something that we absolutely need to get done uh, because lives are at stake and the pain and trauma is very real. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Senator Chang, always great to have you here, especially thankful that you could join us today. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Okay. Also uh, note that if you really want to talk about uh, public safety here in the city of Detroit, uh, Bridge Detroit is hosting uh, public Safety Forum on Zoom tomorrow from 6 to 7 p.m. You can find all the information you want about that at bridgedetroit.com. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to discuss the legislature's new spending plan and what will be likely for the negotiated outcomes of how to spend all the money that is sitting around in Lansing. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.